0: The other thing that's interesting in the in the London theatre scene, and again, this is just opinion, my opinion, people want to go out and have a good time at the moment. And the audiences, the shows that are selling well, the cabarets and things like that, are good nights out. The shows that are struggling are those which are thoughtful pieces and require an audience to come in and sit and be deeply depressed.
1: talk about song. Somebody has to make we conversation. To make conversation. People
2: talk Hi everybody, up happy up. holiday weekend. It, it's a combo platter. It's Passover, Easter, and Ramadan. It's a combo platter where I get I don't think that any of the same foods can be served, can they? But in any case, we're all celebrating a holiday weekend and we're kicking it off with our Friday True Community Gathering. This is Friday, April 15th, Normally, I would be able to wish you a happy tax day, but they postponed that till Monday. We're doing this again. (laughs) This is our 101st consecutive meeting on Zoom. I came to the conclusion that people were not particularly happy being in isolation and really craved company and really craved community. So we open up this room on Fridays and people show up and they've been showing up now for 101 consecutive weeks. You're also welcome to be part of us. If you uh, ever want to join us, you can send me an email, trunltv at aol.com, and I can put you on our Zoom list, and you can come to the the live Zoom. We've been talking about many COVID-related, isolation-related, pandemic-related, creating by yourself in, in a room without anybody around related topics for a long time, and we're switching a little bit now. We're kind of moving into live presentation and we're moving into a world that is a little bit more recognizable than the world we've been in for the past 2 years that's not to say that this pandemic is necessarily over because lo and behold there are now there are now two variations of omicron that are new variations that are just kicking ass in, in New York right now. There are big our big stars. The big stars of the day are COVID V2.1 and V2.13.1. I don't know what they're called. I was better off with the Greek alphabet. The numbers got me too confused. We're not finished with this yet, or it's not finished with us yet. So we do need to continue being a little careful. I got my second booster yesterday. No, uh, two days ago. Yesterday, I spent my my whole day with my, my left arm dangling because it hurts hurt so bad. I've had booster shots before. I've had shots before where my arm has gotten sore. This was horrible. I, I couldn't move my arm for, for, for a day. So that said, everybody get your second booster if you need it. We're going to talk to some of our friends about what's going on across the ocean, because I'm sure that whatever we have going on here in New York and in the United States, there are similar things going on in London. I have some guests that I want you to meet today. We're going to talk about the London theater scene, probably uh, other things as well. We have Megan, who produces here and in London. We have James Steele, who is a Scottish-born producer, who is is active in, in London and actually knows a lot about it's about ticketing, right, James? You're 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 an expert on on what's going on with ticketing there, and Chris Grady, who is our it's our friend who's been with us before. I'm going to ask my guests to introduce themselves briefly. You may also have read their intros in our description of the of the panel, but just to get things started, Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to and how sure. it relates to London?
3: Sure. Well. To be honest, I don't have any projects running across the UK at the moment, but I'm very happy to be here. So James and Chris, I'll let them, you know, take the lead here. But I tra- I trained with Chris during the pandemic online in producing very similar to the program you run. I think we've spoken about that. A few months ago, I wrapped up a, a grant I was working on with a Manchester-based artist. So that was the last project I was doing with the UK, but I do my best to stay connected. I'm a French resident as well, so I do tend to like go back and forth a lot, and I'm hoping that there are some more international projects coming my way soon. And I think I think once everything bounced back up open and everything on both sides, staying as connected as we were during the height of the pandemic was a little bit harder, but I'm a New York-based producer, freelancing at the moment, and also a playwright.
2: Thanks, Megan. Nice to see you again, James Steele. Let's let's meet you now.
1: So yeah, my name's James. I'm a creative producer. Uh, I usually focus on the development of new musicals. The most notable production that I've done was a musical called Ushers, the front of house musical. That's had a fair few runs across the whole of the UK. Okay,
2: as well as wait, I just want to ask you to uh, clarify: clarify that. The Ushers, the what musical? I didn't hear it.
1: The front of house musical, but it's a musical based on the life of them um, those who work front of house actors. Directors having a day job, essentially. So it's, a, okay. it's a forbidden Broadway meets um, Noisy's office. The best description of it. Okay. And yes, yeah, so, and that leads me on to my career in ticketing. I've been a box office manager in the West End. I look after the Roundhouse at the moment as the ticketing manager. I've also worked for the ambassador theater group, looking after their group sales department. So that's my sort of experience within ticketing as well.
2: Well, that might be an interesting angle for us to, to, to look at in terms of what's going on and how, how theater is creeping back in, in, in London. Let me continue our, our introductions and go to, go to Chris. Chris, the first person I invited. Also, Chris is going to tell you a little bit about something that's coming up that he's doing as well, that he's going to invite everybody to. Aren't you, Chris?
0: I am indeed. So uh, thank you so much, Bob, for having us back and making myself back again. And I'm delighted that James has joined us because he's got that finger on the pulse uh, of London by being in it every single day. I think the key thing to say, just as many of you will know across the USA, theatre doesn't just happen in New York. Theatre doesn't just happen in London. I'm based in Edinburgh and we, I'm very, very aware of the challenges there are in the touring scene at the moment and also the challenges on the fringe festival scene. Uh, we have the largest festival in the world happen in Edinburgh in each August. So I can explore a little bit of that with people. So my background is in running theatres and festivals and in working on project management for productions. And then for the last 10 years or so, I've been leading a programme first, a master's programme at a London drama school called Mount View Theatre School. And now setting up my own institute during lockdown, to help to encourage, support, train uh, the next generation of producers in all art forms, all performing art forms. And the world needs more producers. That's the key thing that, that I keep telling people. And I, I have now done, I've realised that I've just done my 40th workshop on Zoom to encourage people to look at training and to be producers. Tell people what you call your workshop. Well, oh, the workshop's called Producing Proper Job Honest and the world is desperate for more more producers because you you know the producers are the employers the entrepreneurs the creators of of opportunities and we need more of them and for the writers around the room and the directors around the room you don't probably want to be sparse you may have to be sparse but what you want ideally is uh, is an amazing group of people like Mary Davis and others coming through the door going, we would like this show, we'll help it reach its destination in front of an audience. And just, to so pig, pass- just to
2: piggyback on one thing that you said, I think not only do we need more producers, but we need a more diverse group of producers. One of the things that is really missing for us in the business mm-hmm. is a proper range of ethnicities, people that actually have a vested interest in bringing different stories to the stage.
0: Yes. And one of the joys that I've had by doing a Zoom a Zoom producing course, and I'm not here to plug the producing course because there are not really producers in the room who would want to do it. But, but one of the joys of doing a producing course that's Zoom based is that it's possible to attract people who don't have twenty thirty thousand $30,000 to go to a university to do it, who have to have a day job, who come from all over the world. And so we are beginning to get a lovely array of diverse practitioners. I'm just now recruiting for our next producing course, which starts in November. And uh, we're getting some wonderful people who are coming from backgrounds all over the world, much more diverse, neurodiverse, gender diverse, and uh, culturally diverse. Which, if those producers get in place and start making work, they will then encourage writers from their own communities they will encourage management teams staffing teams and front of house teams to look more like them and then hopefully that will match with finding audiences that look more like them and vice versa so yeah it's a, it's a long journey but it's really important
2: i mean i can tell you from from a new york point of view that there's been a very visible increase in works of diversity that have come into Broadway. That's the good news. The, bi- the bad news is it's been a terrible time for anything to open. So our hope is that the trend of bringing in more diverse works will continue in spite of the fact that not as not as many are succeeding as we would hope would succeed. But it's a tough market. I mean, it's Broadway is always tough to begin with and Broadway during a, a pandemic. The good thing I want to say is that I think Broadway has properly... Understood the needs of producing during during a pandemic, and I think that they have addressed the COVID issues intelligently. At the beginning of, of all this, when when somebody got sick in a cast, that was the end. You know, the show had to close. We're at a point now where they're, they're testing regularly now, and also the because more people are vaccinated and less vulnerable to severe versions of, of the virus. There seems to be the ability for them to navigate this, and I think there's more coverage with the the expectation that somebody might have to drop out of a cast. I think it was was not really much fun when when Sutton Foster. Sutton. All I could think of was Jodie Foster, and I know she doesn't sing. Sutton Foster and 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 Hugh Jackman. I think both t- tested, and you know that was pretty devastating. But they managed to to get through it. So do you know enough about our COVID protocols here to know whether or not the, the similar ones are being followed in, in London? Well, uh,
0: let us presume we don't, but talk about the protocols in the UK. And James, I, I, I do thank you, Jane, for putting that message in there The success does not equal Broadway. And I think the key thing is that success doesn't equal West End either. Uh, and that's something we're learning a lot and, and emerging producers are most definitely realizing that the, the land is, the land, the, the UK is a big country with lots of audiences all over the country. James, talk about the state that you're seeing in the West End from your point of view, just at the moment, both in terms of how it's working on stage, but also even more importantly, what you're beginning to see in terms of audiences. Um,
1: So it should be noted that in the UK, we have no COVID protocols whatsoever anymore, COVID, according, to a government it does not exist so that should be said that masks are not required within theater you don't need to show vaccination status all this has been dropped so there's no need for anything now within theater it's completely back to how it was pre-19 that's not to say that ticket sales are back to that level there still is um, hesitancy people there's no tourists at the moment we don't have a tourism industry because we've dropped all protocols not other countries have done that So that's still an effect that we see today. We still have not a single show closed that's reopened because of the break clauses. Usually by this point, a lot of shows would have closed because they're not bringing in enough money to the theatre. They're not being enacted. I think we're waiting. I think this, this is a waiting game to see who's going to be the first to close. I do have my, I probably say I have my bets on who it's going to be. I I do think I know with insider sort of information, there's some shows that are doing phenomenally well, Uh, Cabaret, Moulin Rouge, and they have sort of tainted what we are seeing as the recovery. Cabaret uh, is a phenomenon.
2: Cabaret is absolute phenomenon right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's start. Uh, yeah, let's start. Let's start with a with a very. I, first of all, I'm I'm sh- I'm shocked. I should I should have I should have realized it, but I'm shocked that there were no COVID pr- protocols. I mean, I I give Broadway a lot of credit. I think that I think that we're doing a good job. We're doing a, a conscious. We're being conscious of the audience's vulnerabilities, and I think we're. I think we're doing doing a good job of reopening here in New York. I give credit. Maybe somebody can disagree with me. It'll still be fine. I
0: think there's a difference, Bob, between what the government of England is doing and what the British theatre industry is doing, because the British theatre industry is encouraging masks, but it's very difficult to encourage mask wearing when, the, when your government is telling you not to bother. In Scotland, at the moment, there is joined up thinking, so in Scotland, masks are still To be worn for a short while longer Uh, and therefore it's easier for theatres to to comply with the regulations that the government uh, puts forward but when your government we you know we have a crap government we have a useless prime minister and we're in a a mess but when they deny covid then it's really difficult however good the society of london theatre is and the league for you in making recommendations or stipulations when the government's letting you do anything you like it's really difficult
3: and I'll say like to that I think that's where some of the biggest differences as far as area covered like I found New York especially New York you know theater and art industry everyone kind of agrees on what they feel the people who go see theater and the people who make the everyone kind of agrees on what they feel they should do despite what the government is saying you don't have to do i think new york in general as new york city as a place is very you'll find that people still want to wear masks all the time even if they don't have to and they'll you know like like to the vaccine mandates and other places in the us probably wouldn't agree and you'd go to theater in other places and you'd be maskless in, you know other parts of the us and it's interesting i think that- i
1: felt the same as that i felt the same back when it was mandated here it was yeah. very much you wear your mask everyone would do it to wear them on the underground and stuff but it's, it's 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 funny as soon as the government say COVID's gone and literally right. everyone is it brings in new bookers as well that's the big thing it's bringing in new audiences who have not been coming because of those reasons so yeah I mean it's it's great in theory to be like, yeah, everyone will self-regulate, but uh, yeah, I mean, they don't. I everyone was is, I was
3: there there in Denver, and I was very surprised to be on the tube. And I'm like, everyone in New York doesn't have to necessarily if they don't want to, but hmm. we all still do. And I was. No, very about
2: ninety percent? Yeah, there's like three people. There's always three people yeah. on the subway car that don't have a mask on, <laughs> and,
3: and they always look angry. They always look like I know what you're thinking about me, and I don't care, but I do care. Yeah. But yeah, I was very surprised to be out in public in London and not not see as many masks as I, I thought, especially actually around the West End when I went out to, to see shows and stuff.
2: I mean, I have to confess that I, I'm not comfortable wearing a mask. I don't like it, but I do it. Actually, I went to see A Touch of the Poet with Bob Cuscioli last night, and I, you know, I wore my mask. But every now and then, I had to go. You know, I had to had to breathe some air. But I think the the greater good sort of demands that we all sacrifice a little bit of, of, of our comfort in order to make the community safer and i, I don't understand i don't understand that guy named boris over there I, he doesn't make sense to me neither but, does anybody except we, we, cons- we had our own yeah. boris
0: a couple of years ago so. <laughs> yeah yeah unfortunately some i'd nearly said a rude, rude word some people who shall name as conservatives voted for him and He's in power until such time as somebody get get rid of him. But that's the way things go. But let's not get on to politics. I mean, I think one of the exciting things is theatre is opening up. But I, I was talking with a very, very well-respected touring producer, John Stalker yesterday, know, yesterday, who has just had been doing a national tour of Adam's family. It's it had it was scheduled for something like 60 weeks, I suppose, of touring before COVID. It's gone through many, many different variations, but it's been out on the road now. But the regional theatres in the UK are empty. I mean, not empty, but they are not bringing the numbers in necessary. So he's had to yeah, pull sure the, that. Last, he's pulled the last three weeks of the tour because they have now lost every reserve and all the investors' money and they ain't got no more money left, so they've had to pull the tour. So regional theatres, which are the lifeblood for many producers in the UK and indeed in the US, are really, really finding it difficult to pull audiences back in because the lifeblood of those theatres is the older member of the public coming out for a nice coach trip out and they're not coming out of the house, they're not getting on a coach and they're not coming to the theatre. So it's a real challenge for the regional houses and the tours are stacking up that want to go out, which is an incredible challenge for the commercial producers.
1: Yeah, it's worth noting that we we have lost audiences We have lost lots of WIs, which is the Women Institutes, who were big group bookers. They would be the ones for the regionals, especially especially, who would pack out our audiences. Though they buy them at cheaper prices, it's not the money makers. It's the steady revenue that those audiences bring in, and they're not there anymore. That's what. Group companies are no longer in existence. Are we, of that assu- are we
2: assuming that's because of the lack of COVID restrictions, or is, is there any is there a coke factor, any anything involved? Is, is there a drop off in, in interest in theatre because of shutdown from two years?
0: And there's fear. I think it's fear more than anything else. Those people haven't yet met in the, their village hall, let alone met to get on a coach. I think it's it's worth just and James, you can correct me, but. I always go on a very rough thumbnail of what the West End audience is. About Mm -hmm. a third of the West End audience pre-COVID was the British coach party tourist coming in for a a trip into the theatre, the the Rotary Club, the W.R., Women's Institute Mm -hmm. School. Mm -hmm. About a third of the audience was that. About a third of the audience was tourists from abroad coming in to catch up with their western musicals or whatever it might be and about a third was commuters people who lived in london the londoner as it were who went to the theater now since covid the londoners are more or less coming back now bit by bit there are not the international tourists so that third of the market has disappeared And the coach party business has disappeared. So another third of the audience. So the West End shows that all opening are relying at the moment on this one third of the potential market effectively to fill their houses, which is a real challenge.
1: And yeah, I mean, previously that would be, I would say with the commuter aspect of it, because people work from home now, there's a bigger population of people working from home. That's why the venues were really encouraging to with the petition in the government to sort of get people back in the offices because during the week we have none of those office workers going to the theatre after work etc so we're missing out on that that's a big revenue stream because our weekday performances not many people who from out of town really go to that the sort of the weekend is for those and that's why we have shifted our performances to a more Broadway style of the weekends being more in their performance schedule rather than the start of the week so there is changes that we've made in the industry yeah but yeah it's definitely like that but i can't say it's, it's glorious saying that they all come
2: Ma- megan or anybody in the room does anybody know how tourism is doing in new york i know we have tourism i know people are back i, I don't know whether it's at the level it it, it it needs to be for us to thrive but i know that there are a handful of shows that are thriving
3: Yeah, I don't know if someone else would know. They should definitely have been. I do know that we're expecting a surge. I have read that recently, that people are expecting quite a surge of tourism in New York City for this spring and summer.
2: So I I, I still think it's connected with the fact that I think we're we're handling COVID protocols wisely.
0: The other thing that's interesting in the the London theatre scene, and again, this is just opinion, my opinion, people want to go out and have a good time at the moment. And the audiences, the shows that are selling well, the cabarets and things like that, are good nights out. The shows that are struggling are those which are thoughtful pieces and require an audience to come in and sit and be deeply depressed. So, I mean, I was at, uh, last night I was at the National Theatre of Scotland's piece called Orphans, which is on, it's a big new musical piece based on a Peter Mullen film and the audience was there for a good night out. It was an audience wanting to to enjoy a rocky score with a powerful book about Glasgow folk, and they were on their feet cheering at the end.
2: Murray Davis is in the room. Are you willing to tell us about what the average capacity has been for for companies? How is company doing?
4: Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, absolutely. What's interesting, can I segue first before that just one thing? With COVID hitting, the one thing I think the producers have learned is the fact that most of them never wanted to put money against swings and understudies that much because it wasn't necessary. What's happened because we're one of the, I don't know if we're the only show, but we're one of the few, if there's is another one that had, and I went, I, I had a ticket last Friday night because I think it was seven of our leads, all right, the lead roles were covered with swings and the show went on. In some cases, they were as good as, in some cases, even better than what, what exists. But it went on. It has never closed due to COVID, where a lot of shows had to do that, right? And I think that you're going to find producers taking a look at the fact that to close a show, you lose all the money. There is no money coming in.
2: Maria, th- thank you for saying that, because I wanted—I actually wanted to say that one of the other elements, in addition to the COVID protocols, was the fact that, that there is a lot more coverage. There's a lot more understudy coverage Oh, my God. Now.
4: That's where money has to go because yeah. when you have that, you don't. There's nothing stopping you from going on. And the good news was that we have been. When I was there, and, and the reports I'm getting that it is, it, it seems to be full. All right. I mean, there may be some. I, I, again, the tickets come in at all different prices, but it does. It's not for the fact that the theater is empty. It's not at all. Every time I've been there, and the reports that I'm getting, so we're, we're doing very well. And again, a lot of shows initially when. If, you know, we first started opening when we had 19 shows. There were lots of times where people would come into town because they had tickets for something, but they were never notified that their show had closed. So any shows that were open were benefiting from that because they were scurrying around to try to go see something that was still available on Broadway at that moment. That I don't think is the issue anymore. But I think that putting money behind the support staff of, of people who can take over when somebody's going to be sick, because that can happen and it can take over a show. And once if it's the lead, like you know Hugh and, and, and Sutton, that's tough. But again, he had oh, six was, people.
2: That was brutal, but they survived it's it. Brutal. And it's, it's and it's Music Man is one of the top grossing grossing shows yeah. on Broadway. Yeah, no,
4: it's, it's been. If it's not been the good. top,
2: it's, it's 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 like in the top three, I think. RK, you are you are sort of directing us to a a link. Can you tell us anything sort of a summary of what the, what that link is saying that that we we want to know that we should know. Yeah, basically says
0: that it's up from the previous year, which was totally in the tank because of the COVID bans. But one statistic that they said that New York is still the number one destination for tourists in America and that
2: airline flights from February 2022 were up 600% from that. So it's moving in the right direction. Yeah. And we're seeing as many more shows are opening on Broadway now, we're going to be seeing a lot of competition for those seats. But hopefully spring is sprung and people will be arriving.
3: I do think people, American tourists, a lot of them were turned off by the rules that New York City had in place. You know, I I had family members who didn't want to come to New York and have dinner with me because they'd have to show a vaccine at the you know, the door and they just didn't believe in that. And so I think we, now that those things have relaxed a little bit more, you'll see more people coming in.
2: Well, I think the other key issue, and, and it kind of, it, it touches on, on the response in London and the response in New York and the response everywhere is that COVID is not killing as many people. I mean, it's not as, as, as serious, it is serious for some people. So I think caution is still the right approach but that's just me. I'm sure there are people who are going to disagree with me about that.
0: Well, I think we're very we're very lucky that we're not Shanghai, where you shut down a whole city. I mean, I was just looking at the statistics in Shanghai. There are, I think it's six times the number of cases of COVID in the UK as there are in Shanghai at the moment, and yet Shanghai, all 26 million people, are locked in. It's an extraordinary move by by the Chinese government, um, whilst we're all opening up. But fortunately that isn't happening for us.
2: Larry Daggett says that they ran out of understudies for the Daniel Craig production of Macbeth. So the director, Sam Gold, went on microphone in hand to play the one remaining track that wasn't covered. OK, excellent. Brilliant. Okay, I, I think the
0: other, one other really good news story that for me came out of COVID was the work of Nika Burns and her NYMEX company which is that she decided to try and get her her theatres open as fast as she could, but knew that she couldn't afford to put the big shows back in like Harry Potter at that point. And so for a period last summer, she found much smaller shows and put them in big theatres. So she put together a group of 20, I think it was, producers around younger producers who had never had West End credits and gave them the opportunity to come in for short seasons into the West End with relatively unknown shows, playing what would have normally been off-off-Broadway or maybe off-Broadway shows in a Broadway house, or in a West End house.
2: So you're, you're talking um, about you're talking about the large theatres, the, the large West yep, End theatres. Yep.
0: And a whole heap of shows came in for short runs, including, including those piece that Katie Lipson put on called Cruise, which is a one-man show, which would never normally get into the West End. A, a one-man self-penned autobiographical autobiographical i think piece which would normally play in a in a smaller off off west end theater landed in the west end and was up for an olivier award this sunday first time katie lipson the prolific producer of musical theater i tried to
2: get her here today
0: has, has managed to get shows into the west end and she's Pick this piece up from nothing and has got it into the West End so those sort of things that and Nika Burns won a major award this weekend at the Olivier's for for her services to the industry during the pandemic but it's a model that I think she will try again and use again it's a really good model.
3: I had a question then for Kristen and James I've noticed recently I was working on trying to get a show either into like a reputable regional theatre or off-Broadway, and I have had a lot of GMs talking about how the the backup, the backlog of work is really bad right now, and you're looking at like a long time to wait to get your show up. Are are you finding that in in London, in the West End, and across the UK as well?
1: London's always like that. It's it's Heathrow Airport, lots of planes circling ready for a theatre as soon as it's open. Uh, Jerusalem was planned five years ago, so you're just in what was up in the plan five years ago still in the west end so bringing new things in it yeah you're still looking for a, a period of time in advance unless something closes suddenly etc there's
0: a definitely i was i was talking to to someone who's been having conversations with one of our regional producing houses here in in scotland and exactly that that producing house is backed up with projects that they have commissioned or they've been in discussion with for five years and yes, they were really interested in this new new project that this producer was talking to them about. And they but it's years away before it will actually get an opportunity.
3: Or you have to be ready to jump. That's what we've just found in our situation and you just gotta get ready to yeah. do a six month turnaround if you have
0: to. Yeah. Which is why the fringe festivals I think are going to be fascinating this year and maybe next year. Edinburgh Festival Fringe and the other major fringe festivals around the UK because it may well be that some of the projects which would have gone off West End might decide to give it a try putting it into I mean I'm hearing that's happening now planning to put something into Edinburgh in August in the hope that at least it will get noticed as a live production even if it's losing money which it would obviously do in a fringe festival. So let's
2: let's recap for a second So, so basically the big difference between London and, and New York is that we're, we have COVID protocols here and London does not. In general, I, I feel like Broadway is healthier. It's, it's it's getting healthy. And I think that there's, there, there's an audience and people are coming to the to theater. And I was in a small theater last night and it was almost full. But you're saying that London is having, am, am I correct in p- pulling this out of what we said, that London is having a little bit more pro- problem attracting audiences than New York? Is that fair or am I did I make a no, jump somewhere? Bob well, I've
1: actually popped I've popped uh in the chat there I put a uh, sort of graph and that's I've obviously taken the show name and actually the money's worth out of it, but that just gives you a sort of idea of what the audience numbers are. That's revenue on that. So it goes up to October. So I didn't want to put in anything current on it, but that is on track and we're on track for the majority of the shows to be the same as 2019. Is that's what everyone's referring to. So, yeah, I mean, I think the West End is recovering, is the sort of ultimatum of that. It is recovering. It's just some aren't, some are doing better.
2: So we can't really come, come away with the conclusion that New York's protocols versus Lo- London's lack of protocols is more effective. So, so both, are being, both are having success and are both returning at a, possibly a similar rate is that is that what you're yeah what i you're think trying, so yeah I,
1: yeah i mean the, the audiences are returning it is slower now that like I, I mean i'm seeing off west end shows more now happening and they're busier than what they were uh, just a few months ago so yeah i mean it is happening more than the west end so i i don't know the ins and outs of broadway etc but i definitely know the west end is kind enough near enough back to what it was previously some shows will still lose but yeah
2: Okay. Chris, you said you, you, you tempted us before you said that you, you teased us. You said you were going to talk, talk a little bit about the Edinburgh Festival Fringe.
0: Yeah, certainly. So, so Edinburgh Festival Fringe is, it's one of the many fringe festivals around the world, but it's, it's one of the oldest and definitely one of the largest. And in 2019, so that was the last normal fringe year, there were around about 2,500 performances a day happening in Edinburgh during August. So that's quite a lot of competition. That represented about three and a half thousand shows, so productions, that would be playing in August over the over the festival. And you could, if you stayed in one theatre space in a day in August in, 19, in 2019, you'd probably be able to see about eight shows in that theatre in a day. They'd start at kind of 11 o'clock in the morning and the last one would kick off about midnight. Come 2020, Edinburgh Festival Fringe did not exist for the first time. Few things went online. I mean, there was a bit of an online festival, but not a lot. And then in 2021, uh, a few daring venues reopened. A lot were not allowed to reopen because they were owned by universities and universities weren't willing to let the spaces be used. So that, again, it was a smaller festival. But the theory is, the belief is that for 2022, i.e., this year in August, it will be getting up to a bigger scale. I mean, I have no idea what the numbers will be, but it might be that there's a thousand performances a day rather than two and a half thousand. Those spaces, those festival spaces, range in size from 40, 50 seats in the back of a pub, through to three, four hundred seat real theatre spaces black box spaces so there is the opportunity to put on bigger shows in those spaces and I, I've already been talking to, following up my meeting with Megan when Megan and I were with you a few months ago I've had some best conversations with writers and and spas who are intending to come to Edinburgh this summer to have a look around and get a flavour of it and the biggest recommendation i would make to anybody in this on this call is that edinburgh can be the most amazing place to put a show on but it is like entering a different world and if you know theater scene in new york or you know the theater scene in la or london or the fringe edinburgh is different completely different uh, because of that scale and the and the churn of the the churn of the audience people stay for two or three days so i i really would recommend if anybody interested in looking at the festival as a potential place to try out a new show be that a one-person show or a big musical then come to edinburgh during august have a look around be an audience member however you you, you, then think about bringing something in 2023
2: you said first you said one person show or or a big musical obviously it's easier to bring a one-person show (laughs) do you have any do you have any experience of people from from new york or america bringing larger larger pieces because that's a lot of airfares (laughs)
0: Yep. It is a lot of efforts. Uh, There have been one or two that have brought the whole pack over. They've got people with big bank balance available to to, to invest. But if that show gets spotted, then there's a potential global potential for it. I mean, the the example is this is not a New York show coming over. But the example that's often used now is is the musical Six, which started in Edinburgh. Group of students put it together. It had its press night for the U.S. tour in Chicago last night, or the opening last night in Chicago. It's now a global smash hit, but it came out of being played in the back of a dingy venue in Edinburgh.
2: Six is like the is like the COVID story. In its first preview was the first was the night of sl- shutdown, so it opened and closed immediately, and.
0: It was worse than that, Bob. It was its press night. It, it did its previews and then it the, the five o'clock curfew called on New York City was two hours before the press night was due to happen. So every one of the international guests was there. All the press were ready to go and review it. And then it was basically spiked. Tragic, but it's reopened and it's working.
2: Well, I think if I'm not mistaken, one of the things that, that made it possible, the government has been supportive of, of, of commercial theater, or Broadway theater. There, there have been, there have been, there's been money that's been poured into into, into some of the shows that were able to, to compensate them for all the time that they had to stay, stay shut. In fact, what was the show that Kevin McCollum actually, oh, it was Mrs. Doubtfire, wasn't it? That he, that he shut down and said he was going to reopen in two months. It was the first time that anybody had ever done that in New York. He actually got agreements from his entire cast and production that they would not work for two months, and they'd come back and do the show and reopen it. And that's that seems to be having some success right now. I mean, it's back, it's 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 running. But six is just amazing. How did it survive? It's just that's a story in itself. I would love to have somebody tell that story one of these days on one of our Fridays to to have actually be shut down the night the night of its oh it was supposed to be its, its last preview was it. It was, it was press the press night. night. It was the press night. So it was the last preview, or probably not the opening. It was the last preview, so it never officially opened, which I think is Correct. kind of the, the way the story goes. And who knew that it was going to actually be able to survive? But it did, and I think yeah, it had to it... have been because of the because of the the government subsidies that were that were given to to help these shows. So well, there was
0: our... no government subsidies given in the UK, to my knowledge, to any shows. Yeah, uh, there, there was, was no some... commercial. Yeah. So that may have been unique to New York but in the UK uh, there was a determination from Kenny Wax and Andy Barnes and Wendy Barnes and and George Stiles who were the producers of Six that it would get off the ground as soon as it could and they were, they had already had success with the show in, in US production in Australia as well and in the UK there was a, I think there was a kind of some bank with some money in it because it had done reasonably well in the UK and had a UK tour and things and uh, they weathered the storm but were absolutely determined to reopen it.
2: Kind of a, a magical story actually. Yeah And uh, well, we're all going to be it's, looking
0: for the next show now. We're it's, now it's, looking... it's
2: hugely successful too.
0: Yeah we're now looking when we go to Edinburgh this August. I mean I will I, will, I have a whole heap of Korean producers coming into Edinburgh to see what's what's ready to go because the korean market is a massive one for musical theater now so yeah they're coming over they want to see what's happening it's a good time to be looking at uh, at the fringe as a as a way forward
2: i I want to bring us to another part of the conversation that i was planning on to have and then i want to actually open up to the room so everybody in the room i want you to start thinking about questions you want to ask but let's talk about the collaboration or the or the community that we're trying to we're trying to bring the american and and overseas communities together and the work that you're doing towards that megan and and chris I, I know that you're involved in that i'm not sure whether james is selling tickets for it or not
0: james is getting very involved in it but i'll okay. leave him to talk about that later on but okay. so that's another conversation for a few months time but yeah so some years ago i took on running something called producers pool which is a network a little bit like true but only for producers I mean, obviously, there are some writers in there who are also producers. I have a question for you. Also that, producers. How,
2: how, how long have you been running this? Seven years. Seven years. Uh, originally, True is going to be only for producers, and after years of of just reality finally showed me that we had we had to open it up to people that were were not producers and then then we also tried to encourage people to self-produce so that it would be within our mission as well but it's a produce the the producers market is a small market
0: Mm -hmm. well we have 600 members at the moment who are producers who are send me 10 send me 10. Well, some of them may meet you next week.
2: Okay. Paul Smith has a, has a question. Is it? Are you saying it is now too late to realistically be considered for the Edinburgh Festival this year? It, it I, isn't. I, I didn't hear if that. You can,
0: it, it isn't too late if you can find a space. The Fringe program is going to bed very soon, if it hasn't already gone to bed. But So what you need to do is to be talking to venues across the city to see if anybody's got any slots left so but the
2: repercussions of what you just said is if this if the program is going is going to to the printer then you're not going to your plate your show is not going to be in the 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 program so you'd have to find other, other ways of marketing yourself
0: it won't be in the printed program but there is a lot of online the program goes online as well and that keeps being updated
1: So Uh, so, just that you know, Chris, the deadline was the 13th there for you. So the deadline for the main Edinburgh Fringe program has passed, but you'll still be added to the website and most people use the website and you'll still be added to your venue brochure. Most people will be part of a chain of venues, C venues, assembly, and they have big venue. they have big brochures as well. So you would still be part of that, but the main Edinburgh Fringe one you wouldn't be. But I don't think many people will pick that up as any
2: anymore.
0: Uh, Do you
2: have a question? No. Oh, okay.
0: Well, hi. Uh, Just to say, I think I've got the website, right? EdFringe.com. If you go on to Fringe website, which is the Edinburgh Festival Fringe website, they have loads and loads of information to download, including a list of every venue that you can approach and how to approach them. All sorts of instructions and things like that. So, Paul, yeah, it's not too late. And there is also, remember, not remember, you might not know. There is also a free Fringe which runs alongside the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. The free Fringe is is, uh, like a hat fair. So effectively, you can find spaces that will give you their space for free, provided you don't charge a ticket price. The customers then come in and you then put the hat out at the end of the performance. So it's donations only. Uh, And that's another method of coming to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe.
1: Can I just correct myself? Um, That was the early bird discount that ended on the 13th. You've got till May me there. oh wow there you go sorry pardon me
2: just open up possibilities
0: for a lot of people but i do recommend if if you think you're bringing a show and paul's bringing a show this year then ask him whether he you can sleep on his floor uh, and come over and have a look offer to do some leafleting for him uh, around the city in return for the bed space that he's going to offer you and then you'll learn about the city and be able to then bring a show the next year
4: what is the date? What is the date of the, the, the festival this year?
0: It starts on Friday, the twenty. Uh, Friday, the 5th of August. August and August. it runs through till the 29th of August. 29th. And there are I, five, just, just for the fun of it, there are five festivals in Edinburgh simultaneously. The festival fringe is the big one that we all know and love, but it is only the fringe of the international festival. So, there is also an international festival happening at the same time, which is a by invitation only festival where massive ballet companies and Netherlands dance company and orchestras from around the world come. There's also a film festival, there's a television festival, there's a book festival, there's a military tattoo festival and an art festival all running in the city simultaneously.
4: Does anybody, Sorry, yes. volu- does anybody volunteer to take someone around to, to be able to understand all the pieces at play? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I
0: was we do. There's a, there's the
4: only Mary,
0: it would be a pleasure to do so. Now,
4: <laughs> I, I was there once; it was fabulous. I, I didn't get to see all that you just mentioned, but it was—it was what I did see was wonderful.
0: When I was running the Pleasance Theatres, which is one little hub of sixteen theatre spaces during Edinburgh, we did work out that. If we started on the first day of the festival seeing our own shows in our own theatres, we couldn't see all the shows by the Ooh. end of the festival. There wasn't enough time to see all the shows in our own theatres, let alone anybody else's. It's big.
2: It would drive me crazy. All those choices would just make me nuts. Oh that's the
1: fun of it you get to pull out your edinburgh fringe program you start circling and shortlisting and then you've got a board and then you do a timetable and you work out how far you need to run from one venue to another so it, do you, that's the fun of it so do,
2: do you do festival coaching for people so if people can,
0: can yeah. contact I you when to the festival,
1: but i definitely see more than 30 40 shows in a week at the festival wow.
0: Wow. and james james may i just highlight the fact that you've been both old-fashioned and modern in the space of two answers you first of all said that nobody's going to look at the printed program and then you described what you do which is to take the printed program
1: yeah it's because i get it because as a fringe industry professional you just get sent it so it's the first time where you just sit and you flick through it But then the week before you go, you'll also take off, because actually online, you can build a calendar on the app as well. So you kind of do a mix of both. So you end up, some get canceled from the program and, and then there's new things added onto the online. So you kind of mix a bit of both, but yeah, definitely.
0: The International Festival program is actually out. It came out a week or so ago. So if you're interested in big international work, that program is out now. And there's some fantastic theater on of different sorts.
2: So my community are uh, my friends out there do you have any any other questions for these people I, I they they came here all the way from london so so you really should should, should take advantage of this come on guys ah oh, here we got somebody elizabeth
0: okay.
4: you're talking about a small company for a non-musical play what would define a small company you know, seven actors five actors one actor <laughs> that i know <laughs>
0: I mean, you're playing in spaces that are probably 50 to 100 seats, mm-hmm. and it's not commercially viable with anything more than naught actors, really, but definitely one actor is, is viable. But there are companies that are out. I mean, I've, I've just been talking with somebody who's doing a play in Edinburgh in a, in a 300 seat assembly rooms venue with nine actors. It was a play that was due to come up from London some while ago. It is being done with with paid actors. It will lose a lot of money because nine actors being paid in a 300-seat venue with all their accommodation paid and everything else, it will lose money. What's but, the
4: normal cost of a ticket?
1: Uh, so it depends. It can be anywhere. For the sort of average price is £12. Mm-hmm. I can say, like, when I first produced at the Edinburgh Fringe, I'd done similar to what Chris has just mentioned, a professional production, paid actors, we did have a ticket price of 25 pounds and that's high for the fringe. That's Mm -hmm. a really high ticket price, but there is usually at the festival that you can sort of see there's two levels. You have the amateur dramatics and then you'll have the big commercial productions and there'll only be one, two, maybe three of them at the whole festival that will go on for further life and the sort of touring and West End market. So if you're going for the higher ticket price, you should be one of those commercial productions.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: So, Maureen Condon is asking, are there any producers in London or Scotland who are open to receiving an email with a script and linked to demos for a large musical with ten characters and a chorus of ten to twenty so Ma- Ma- Maureen, this is this is basically a, a, a generic question about your about your show crude you, or are you thinking of bringing it to the to, to fringe the festival fringe?
4: I'm not thinking of bringing it just because of the expense and where we're at. We've only had one production at a theatre in the US but yeah I'm just trying to see if it's even reasonable in this day and age to try to approach somebody with that kind of a history.
0: Yes but it might become a, a kind of hybrid model so there are productions being put together where it is partly professional artists and partly drama school chorus that's being done. Drama schools in the UK and the conservatoires in the UK are always looking for work with large casts because they do have 15 to 30 people in their company that they need to showcase. And that's sometimes a way of having a work seen in the UK.
2: I have a more general question for you that that might relate a little bit to what Maureen's looking for. Can you create a kind of network for us here to, to, to reach out to producers who are experienced in the in the fringe i mean if, if somebody wants to even think about going there maybe if they found a producer that that knows the edinburgh fringe do you do you have a list that, that they could get from you or something
0: i don't have a list sitting that i could just share now but it would be quite easy to put together a list of probably 20 or so producers who are regularly taking shows to edinburgh and i'm sure i'm sure between James and myself and Megan and and others, we could come up with that list. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm sure it should perfect. be
1: worth noting. Sorry to interrupt, Chris. It should be worth noting. Edinburgh is a passion project. We do it for the love of it. Just as Chris was saying, that the, the money situation of it is you are losing money. Like you will lose money before you even open your show there because you'll have no advanced sales. You have a low ticket price. Your accommodation is sky sky high. So it isn't something that is straight away that a commercial producer will take up unless they're already in love with the piece. So that's finding the right producer with the right sort of route to the success of the show. So if that is Edinburgh to London, because I would say if you're having a professional Edinburgh production, you should already have your London production lined up if you can. That's the, the ideal world. So yeah, I would definitely try and find a producer who matches your show before just finding anyone, I would say.
3: I think that's like the like what you said about a passion project, definitely, but also looking at that as the investment to then move forward with it. Like it's, it can be you know, oh, is it going to go to London next? Is it going to go to another international place? Like, what's my plan for this show afterwards? What's the journey of it and the life of it? And then it becomes less of a, you know, I try to reframe things as like, it's an investment. You're getting production shots, you're getting press, you're getting attention, and potentially you're getting it. That would be a smart way to go about it. Know what you want in the end. If you only want to go up with Fringe, Great. You've done it, or if you want something to come of it, the, those are the types of producers you should be connecting to, who understand like your vision. And I think there's a few people asking about like you know the the list and things like that. Like Chris is just talking about maybe putting something together. Come to the you know meeting on the 26th because a lot of the young producers do come to the producers pool meetings virtually and. It is a great place to meet people from all over the UK who produce all types of different things. There's a lot of new work in the UK, just as much as there are musicals. I'm trying to like hit all these things that are coming in. Yeah, I think come to the meeting on the 26th in whatever capacity you're able to, and that's a great way to meet people. I don't
0: know. and Megan, if we can if we can find a bit of wall or a flip chart or something, we can mm-hmm. we can construct a list whilst we're there having cups of tea or whatever it might be.
3: Exactly, um, and then get everyone's permission to share emails and
0: things yeah. uh, you are, Randall, you ask are there other theatres around interested in in new plays? Yes, most definitely. We have a phenomenal array of regional repertory houses, regional producing houses. That are looking for new work. There is the Heathrow landing pattern, you know, that airport stacking of of obviously projects that haven't come to life yet because of COVID. But yes, we are very blessed in the UK with most cities having a theatre that is a producing house that is funded partly by the government through the Arts Council of England or Creative Scotland. So the equivalent of the NEA, but with more money and with local authority support and and local council support. So yes, they do exist. There are artistic directors in those spaces that are looking for new work all the time. We don't have any dedicated houses for musical theatre in the UK. Unlike, so we don't have a good speed or anything like that. We have a lot of theatres that do musicals at different points, but there is no, at the moment, and this has been something that's been on my kind of wish list for 40 years, there is no theatre in the UK that is funded by the government or the Arts Council to produce musical theatre because we are a play country and you're a musical country, and uh, the government likes to keep it that way.
3: Mm.
1: In the UK, we don't share any revenue of productions. We don't have grosses. We don't share any of that information. That is all kept hush hush. Unfortunately, we don't have that open and honesty that is over in the, in the United States.
2: Well, we have we only have it in our in, in commercial Broadway. We don't uh, off Broadway grosses are never shown. No, no, no other gross. I don't know why we have it on Broadway, but we do. Uh,
0: yes, Randall, there, there is there is an organization called UK Theatre, which is the equivalent of I suppose it's the equivalent of the... It's salt, for the regions. It's salt for the regional theatre. And if you go on there, there are the lists of the theatres. And most of them, I think you can go and have a look at the list. I don't think you have to be a member to have a look at the list. And that should give you a way to navigate some of the theatres.
2: So I'm going to wind this up, unless I have more questions from the room, because I have to get ready for Passover dinner. So, so guys, I want to thank you for, for for flying over here. Good to see you. Nice to meet you. And I want to let everybody know that we're going to be meeting with two of our council people next week: Eric Botcher and Julie Menon, and also Amy Todorov from the League of Independent Theaters. We're gonna we're gonna have a pretty good stern talk about support for the arts in the in the, uh, the United States and what we what we need to do to, to get a little bit more help. I think that there's been a lot of initiatives that have that have been helping us and that have been supporting theater but I think that more can be done um, we're going to talk to Eric and we're going to talk to Julie and we'll be nice and polite but we're going to be very very straightforward about about our questioning and our wish for my personal wish is that more politicians would at least, mention the arts when they talk about our country. Nobody mentions them. I, we are here and we are important. So uh, join us next week for that. And again, uh, Chris Grady, James Steele, Megan Sh- Shadler, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate your time and your, your information. And thank you for being with us. Thank you for checking out True. Also, we do this for free, and, and, and yet, and yet, we have a staff and we have expenses. So, how do we miraculously pay for all that? Well, I think that happens because you guys tend to be generous and, and tend to support us. And our the URL for that is trudonate.com. That's trudonate.com. So, if you want to help us out, go to trudonate and give us a uh, give us a little a little something. Give it, show us a little love, okay? I think that's it for today. We will see you, you next week, Hopefully. Okay. We need to talk about something. We need to talk about something. We need to talk about anything at all.
4: Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful day.
3: to cast